The Baltimore Orioles ended up with a top 10 bullpen in baseball in 2022. And frankly, it was in the top five for most of the season. And there's a couple of guys they can really thank for that. Two of them are Dylan Tate and CNL Perez. And we'll break down their seasons with the Orioles coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Friday, November 4th, 2022, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we continue our Orioles 2022 player season review series. Today, we're talking about the Orioles 2 setup, man, two guys out of the bullpen, who really helped this pen shine and two of the biggest factors in the Orioles having a winning record this season. That's Dylan Tate and CNL Perez out of the bullpen. We'll talk about how each of them had success, how one was coming off of more success in Tate than Perez, who really had his first big year, and what kind of role each could play out of the Orioles bullpen in 2023. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked on Orioles podcast, which is brought to you by Bet Online. BetOnline has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline, where the game starts. So let's jump right into it as we continue our season review series for all the key players that made the 2022 Baltimore Orioles season so, so special. Let's start with Dylan Tate because if there was a guy throughout the season that Brandon Hyde probably trusted the most, I would say it was Dylan Tate. And the other good thing about Dylan Tate is when the Orioles completely remade their bullpen last offseason from 2021 to 22, and it worked to perfection, it got so much better. We'll talk about that later in this episode. Really, you could argue there was only one guy returning to the bullpen who Brandon Hyde really felt he could trust starting on opening day, and that was Dylan Tate. I mean, you think about the Orioles trading Cole Salser and Tanner Scott to the Marlins just a week before opening day. They were two of three guys Hyde probably felt he could trust heading into the season. Then he had one in Dylan Tate, who he had trusted in previous years with the Orioles and who had gotten the job done. It was Dylan Tate. He was the only guy who Hyde probably felt early that he could go to. And you get it. You know, you look at how the Orioles built this bullpen throughout the year and, you know, just so many waiver claims and so many rookies and guys who really hadn't established anything, even if the stuff was great, and even if they had looked great in spring training to win that roster spot, nobody except for Tate had proved it in a previous season at the major league level. Some of the guys had big league experience, but it was mostly, you could say, failure at the big league level, to be honest. But that wasn't the case for Dylan Tate. He was coming off of what was a productive 2021, where, yes, he played for an Orioles team that you know lost 110 games, but... He picked up his fair share of saves. He worked a, a really big 7th and 8th inning role for the Orioles. And when they did win games, especially close games, generally Dylan Tate was involved in 2021. 67 and two-thirds innings, a 4-3-9 ERA. And he was useful for the Orioles. But he took it to another level in 2022. And he ended up with a career high in innings pitched and appearances, lowest walk rate, his best ERA, best war. He had a great, great season. For the Orioles this year, Dylan Tate, 67 appearances out of the bullpen. He worked 73 and two-thirds innings 
out of the Orioles pen and pretty dominant innings at that. Had a 3.05 ERA to go along with a 3.48 FIP, was worth 0.5 F war. That's according to fan graphs. And he locked down five saves for the Orioles as well after having three in 2021. Now he struck out about 7.3 batters per nine, but the big number, just 1.9 walks per nine for Dylan Tate. After he had 3.1 walks per nine last year, he dropped it to 1.9 this season. A lot of that was the work he did at driveline over the offseason that we talked about back in spring training and, you know, kind of cleaning up the delivery a little bit, working on some of his offerings. And the big thing, you know, we had one of his driveline coaches on the podcast back in the spring, and they basically talked about how the big thing Tate wanted to work on last offseason was his command and throwing more strikes. Well, he threw way more strikes in 2022 than he did in 21. And it paid off. You know, the stuff was fairly similar. I mean, he added some stuff to his sinker, but his velocity was, you know, essentially the same year to year. He ticked up a little bit on it, but it was all about throwing more strikes. And it worked out for him. And basically what Dylan Tate was able to do this season is he had been somewhat of this in his career, but he basically became locked down against right-handed hitters. And now he could get lefties out, which is why he was in such a big role. But righties couldn't touch him. I mean, right-handed hitters had an opponent batting average of just 190 against him, with just a 234 WOBA, a sub-300 slugging against Dylan Tate. He had a 23% strikeout rate against righties, which is above league average, but just a 3% walk rate against righties. The league average is 8% walk rate. He was down at 3% against right-handed batters. They just weren't reaching base against him. And the lefties had a little bit more success. They hit 265. You know, they had a 470 slugging, but he still got them out at a high enough clip to face left-handers. But he just wiped out righties this year. And that was huge for the Orioles this season. But I think the biggest stat for Dylan Tate's year is how whether he worked himself into trouble or he came in to try and clean up somebody else's mess out of the bullpen. That's when Tate was at his best. According to fan graphs, in high leverage scenarios, which is generally, you know, seventh, eighth, or ninth inning or extra innings, and you know, you got a three-run game or fewer, with runners on base usually as well, opponents hit just 155 against Dylan Tate in high leverage spots this year. That's amazing. And if you want to expand it out to, you know, higher leverage spots across, you know, the nine innings of the game. When Dylan Tate was on the mound with runners in scoring position, opponents hit just 109 against him. Let me say that again. Opponents hit just 109 with runners in scoring position against Dylan Tate this season. You want to know how he kept so many runs off the board? That stat is exactly why. And, I mean, he just got off to such a great start. I mean, Opponents hit 158 against him in April. April was his best best month of the year. I mean, he dominated guys in April. And really, he only had like one bad month. I mean, the month of June, opponents hit 289 against him. You know, they roughed him up a little bit. He was looking a little tired. Other than that, he was maybe the Orioles' most consistent reliever from beginning to end in 2022. And what he really had is, you know, he worked on his slider in the offseason. We talked about that as well. Kind of the slider shape to have better movement, more command, and became a better pitch for Tate this year. But that sinker changeup combination, you know, his one and two pitches, just lethal, just absolutely lethal from Dylan Tate. The changeup, 
Opponents hit just 182 against the changeup. It had over a 40% whiff rate. That is a ridiculous rate of swings and misses on that pitch. And the great thing about the change is, yeah, he would throw it to righties from time to time. But generally, that was the pitch he used to get lefties out. And all his other offerings dominated righties. And then he had this elite pitch to go get lefties as well, which allowed him to pitch multiple innings at time, you know, get more than three outs, face lefty-righty, lefty-righty, and still get through it with success. But... The obvious pitch that was the one for Dylan Tate, and the one that has always been the one, really since the Orioles moved into the bullpen in double-A buoy, is that sinker. That sinking fastball that he throws, you know, 95 all the way up to, to you know, 97, 98 at times. It's just ridiculous. And according to StatCast, they have a run value statistic for each pitch that a pitcher throws. Basically, you know, a, a negative number is good, which means, you know, you are preventing runs. A positive number is bad. His sinker had a negative 21 run value this season. Now, the number doesn't mean that much until you basically look at how the stat tries to encompass everything that a pitch does. That Dylan Tate sinker was the eighth most valuable pitch, basically the eighth best pitch in all of Major League Baseball this year, not just of relievers, not just in the Orioles bullpen or on the Orioles, the eighth best pitch of all pitchers in MLB. Number one was Dylan Cease's slider, and I believe number two was Shohei Otani's slider. So that kind of tells you, you know, where that list is. Number eight, Dylan Tate's sinker. That's how great that pitch was. He throws it hard. He throws it down in the zone, and he basically gets guys to beat the ball into the ground. It's what makes him so successful. You know, about a 57% ground ball rate, which was a touchdown from 60% last year, but it's still an elite number for Dylan Tate. He got out of all those, you know, tough situations in high leverage and with runners on base. And you just look at what he was able to do in just preventing runs. And that's what pitching is. You know, he he threw better pitches this year. He got guys to chase at a 33% rate. He was at just 29% back in 2021. So he's throwing more competitive pitches out of the strike zone. He threw about the same amount of pitches in the strike zone, but, you know, many were more competitive as well. And he just became this better pitcher this year who had, you know, at moments this year, he was just untouchable his average launch angle against him was zero. It was 0.0. Basically, everything guys hit against Dylan Tate was hit directly into the ground. And when he had a big difference, remember, the Orioles' defense used to be a real issue, but all of a sudden, the Orioles' infield defense was a huge strength this year. You know, you have Ramon Arias winning a gold glove at third. You have Jorge Mateo winning the Fielding Bible Award at shortstop. And then, you know, he had his moments that were bad, but Odor played a solid second base, and Ryan Mountcastle played a fantastic first base this year. And even when Gunnar Henderson was in the mix, he was playing great defense. And even some of the other guys who fell into that spot, you know, whether it was Richie Martin or Kelvin Gutierrez or Jonathan Arauz at times, they played good defense there as well, even though those guys didn't really hit. But all those players combined for a great infield defense for the Orioles. And when you get a ground ball pitcher out there, an extreme ground ball pitcher like Tate, that's the kind of season you can get. And he's still 28 years old, having a career year, his second full big league season. He's arbitration eligible for the first time this offseason. The Orioles are going to pay that number easily. 
And, you know, he's not a free agent until after 2025. So the Orioles have him locked down for three more seasons in that bullpen. And there were, you know, some maybe not so well backed up Dylan Tate trade rumors at the deadline this year. The Orioles obviously did not move him. And I don't think they're going to move him because he's such an important piece to this team. Came over in the Zach Britton trade when the Orioles, you know, just completely tore things down at the 2018 deadline. And he's working out as a high leverage, elite, you know, eighth inning setup man reliever who can get you a save, you know, when Felix Bautista is tired. And I think he's going to have that same role going into next year. And he could get even better when he heads back to driveline this offseason. You never know what he's going to add to his arsenal. But it was just fun to watch Tate pitch this year. And I don't see any situation where he's not in the Orioles bullpen on opening day next year. And it's going to be fun to watch how much better he gets next season because we saw a little bit more fire on the mound from Dylan Tate this year, a little more emotion, which I love to see to back up that dynamite stuff. He's fun to watch. It's herky-jerky. It's moving everywhere, but he contained it with better command this year. That was the big thing for Tate. Added to every pitch, the command, and the stuff in general. He's fun. He is fun to watch, and you can rely on him anytime you go to him in the back end of a baseball game. But Dylan Tate himself wasn't, you know, the sole reason that the Orioles had such a great bullpen this year. Again, you know, it was top five in baseball for most of the year. They had Dylan Tate pitching well last year. What they also had to do was add great pieces around him. And one of those guys who came in this year was CNL Perez. And coming up next, we're going to break down Perez's year and how he went from a pretty terrible pitcher with the Astros and the Reds to one of the best left-handed relievers in baseball this year with the Orioles. But first, got to tell you about betonline.net because it is your number one source for betting football, betting basketball, betting hockey, and betting baseball this season. Remember, we could potentially only have one more game of the baseball season left, and at most, we've only got two games left with game six and maybe seven of the World Series this weekend, but you can get the lines and the odds on both of those games at BetOnline just Net, but it's not just that this weekend. You got a full slate of college football tonight and tomorrow. All the lines on every game. You got a full slate of the NFL on Sunday. Get all the lines. And of course, the Ravens headed to New Orleans to play the Saints on Monday Night Football. You can get everything you need to know for that game, including live betting up to the minute scores for your NFL games, plus the NBA, plus the NHL, and college basketball starts on Monday night. Get all your lines at Bet Online there. As well. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. That's Bet Online, where the game starts. So Dylan Tate had an amazing season for the Orioles, but he was not alone in relievers having amazing seasons to make this bullpen so good. And another one who really shined was CNL Perez. But this was not a guy we expected so much to shine. You know, Dylan Tate showed a lot of promise in 2021. He backed it up with a great 2022. CNL Perez, on the other hand, Certainly didn't have a great 2021. Now, the Orioles had claimed him off waivers from the Cincinnati Reds early last offseason. And it was a guy who you saw, you know, was a fairly highly rated prospect back in the day when he was in the Astros system. So Mike Elias had that connection to him. And you could see the stuff was there. But he just had no idea where the ball was going, whether he was in the bigs with the Astros or especially lately with the Reds. And, you know, he came in. And you took a look at those statistics with Cincinnati out of the bullpen in 2021, and you just said, yeah, I get why he's in the big leagues, and you know he has good stuff, but the Reds are tanking, and they're still DFAing this guy who had a 6.38 ERA in 24 big league innings last year. 
I'm not sure how I feel about the Orioles making this move, but obviously they saw something in the stuff. They saw a guy, a lefty, throw a 96-97 with a fastball with a wipeout slider who just needed to figure out where the ball was going. I think they saw a lot of Tanner Scott in CNL Perez. But the things the Orioles were able to do with CNL Perez that they were really never able to consistently do with Tanner Scott before they dealt him to the Marlins before this season was have him consistently find the strike zone. And Perez did that in an Orioles uniform. And oh boy, did it change what kind of pitcher he is. Because listen, the strikeouts, they went down from his high minors and major league numbers. But with it, the walks went way down and the ERA went way down as well. Perez comes in and just kind of immediately earns a fairly high leverage role for the Orioles as their best left-handed reliever and just rode that role throughout the season. His final stats with the O's this year in 66 appearances. Perez certainly wasn't you know a guy who would go multi-innings, but 57 and two-thirds innings pitched for CNL Perez. He did pick up one save. But he had a 1.40 ERA, the best on this Orioles staff this year. It was a 2.80 FIP, so a little concerning that that's double his ERA. But still, he was worth one war, according to Fangraphs. Struck out 8.6 batters per nine, walked 3.3 guys per nine this season, and just got big outs whenever the Orioles called upon him. And listen... To drop your ERA from 6.38 one year to 1.40 the next year in more than double the innings, that's very, very impressive in your age 26 season, especially for a lefty, and especially for a guy who got lefties and righties out. Now, when you break it down, he was probably a smidge better. He was a little bit better against left-handers, which you would expect from a lefty pitcher, but it wasn't that great of a difference. Lefties hit 224 against him with a 246 Woba. Righties hit 218 against him with a 263 Woba. So across the board, his strikeout rates were better against lefties. So you, you kind of tilt the scales. Yeah, he does a little better against left-handers. But he's a guy who could pitch to both sides of the plate. And that's what made him valuable. But the thing we saw from CNL Perez this year is just the stuff. And he finally threw it in the strike zone for the first time in his career. It was crazy to see this lefty throwing 97-98. And hitting the zone way more consistently than he ever had. He had that high spin, high velocity fastball, and he was getting swings and misses, was getting called strikes. And then he would just drop in this nasty, nasty slider, which opponents hit just 182 against the slider this year. It was the sixth best slider in terms of vertical movement in all of Major League Baseball this season. So it had a lot of dip on that slider from the left-hander as well. And it allowed him to get righties and lefties out. You know, he threw that sinker to help get the righties out as well, which which got, you know, a good amount of ground balls for CNL Perez this year. The sinker was his third pitch, but it it helped him maintain, a you know, about a 51% ground ball rate to get some guys out as well. And he just became a productive reliever. Now, listen, there are some concerning stats about CNL Perez. And you'll ask, well, Connor, you know, you talked about CNL a couple weeks ago on a mailbag episode and talked about why he could maybe be a, a trade candidate this offseason. And I talked about how he could be this year's version of the Cole Saucer-Tanner Scott trade, where you say, why are the O's trading this productive reliever? Saucer and Scott, while Scott was a little better, did not have a whole lot of success, especially Cole Saucer really struggled in Miami this year. 
And it's because if you look at the peripherals and the expected stats, you get a little worried. Now, again, he had a 1.40 ERA this season, did Perez, but he had a 3.62 expected ERA, according to kind of his stat cast statistics, you know, how hard he was getting hit, the type of contact he was giving up. That is over a two-run difference between his expected ERA and his actual ERA. That was by far the biggest difference of any pitcher in Major League Baseball this season. So that's a little concerning, making you think there could be some regression coming from CNL Perez next year, which is basically why I felt like he could be maybe a sell-high candidate for the Orioles to trade this offseason because, you know, at the end of the day, he was a waiver claim last year from the Cincinnati Reds. Side note, it's hilarious that the Reds, who basically had the worst bullpen in baseball this year, DFA'd CNL Perez last offseason, and he ended up with a 1-4 ERA. But that's a topic for another time. But the one thing, you know, on the one hand, I am a little worried about Perez. And I think even if it's not worrisome and he still pitches well, I think we can all agree he's not going to have better than a 1-4 ERA next year. Like, even if he pitches well, he's going to have an ERA higher than that because it's it's so difficult to have a 1-4 ERA when you're throwing 50-plus innings. So it's not going to be that low. But the question is, would it really balloon? Would it get closer to that 3.62 expected ERA? That's a little bit of what you're worried about. But on the flip side, what I would say, you look at April, for example, the month of April, his first month as an Oriole. He had a zero ERA, but opponents hit 318 against him in April. That was the best opponent batting average against him in any month this year. So he was getting kind of lucky from the start. But when you look all season for Perez, he never had a month where his ERA was over 2.9. He held it under two for basically the entire season. And even though every time you looked out there, you said the peripherals don't look great. You know, he's going to come down to earth and be more of you know just an above average reliever instead of an elite one. He kept getting guys out. So I like to cite the, you know, expected stats here on this podcast and look at the stat cast page and talk about, you know, how this guy projects down the line. And it's important to do that for this stage of the Orioles because the O's competed earlier than we thought this year. You know, they improved by 31 wins. They were in a playoff race in September. Nobody could have seen that coming. But what we're really looking to is the future for the Orioles next year and the year beyond that when hopefully they really start to compete. So that's why I use some of these expected stats, these stats that are more predictive, because I want to know how they think these O's players will do next year and the year after that when the O's are really going to try from opening day to make the playoffs. But for Cino Perez, these stats do worry me. You know, this expected ERA, you know, all these expected stats, you know, whether it's slugging percentage, expected batting average against him, they're all much higher than his actual stats were. But when you do it over a full season, even though he's a reliever, and even though it was only 57 and two-thirds innings, that is not anything close to, you know, a sample size that makes you feel good. It is a small sample size. I get that. I understand that. But when he just kept doing it all year, and he kept getting out of jams, and he kept getting a little lucky. I, I'll admit he got a little lucky at times this year, and he kept the ball in the ballpark, which is huge, and the new wall helped him at Camden Yards, but to allow only two home runs in about 58 innings, yeah, that's pretty impressive, and to only walk 21 batters in 58 innings, I think that's much more impressive, and only allow 46 hits. Yeah, that's a little lucky, but it's also impressive. So you look at what he did with more strikes, and the home runs are going to go up again, and the ERA is going to go up. It's just going to happen next year. 
But even though the numbers may be telling me differently, especially with a reliever with a small sample size, I don't know if I believe it's going to get that much worse for Perez because sometimes you just got to throw out some of the expected stats because it doesn't matter what the expectation is. If he's showing us time and time again that he's going to beat the peripherals, he's going to outpitch his peripherals all year, and maybe he'll just keep doing it. So you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if the Orioles traded him away this offseason. I think they're definitely going to listen to offers. But if they do, I'd be upset. He was a big part. And I think while he's not going to have a 1-4 ERA next year, if he is back with the Orioles, he's going to be in a high leverage role. And I think he's still going to get guys out because that's what he does with the fiery passion and the great stuff from the left side. He helps this O's team and one of the better waiver claims so far of the Mike Elias era. But whether it was Cena Perez or Dylan Tate or any of these guys, just all these relievers, you know, plucked from waivers and, and being rookies and wherever they came from, came together to put together one of the best bullpens in baseball this year. A huge turnaround for the Orioles bullpen. And coming up next to finish off the pod, we'll just check back in on just remembering how great this Orioles bullpen turnaround was this year and could it be even better heading into next season. So CNL Perez and Dylan Tate, who we've talked about today, both certainly helped the Orioles bullpen do a complete 180 and turn things all the way around this season. And you just look at the stats compared to 2021 and really in general, you know, when we talk about Brandon Hyde as a manager and, and you know, he's potentially going to be up for AL manager of the year this year. And we always talked about, you know, how much can you grade out Brandon Hyde when he has nothing to work with? You know, you looked at the bullpens that Hyde had to manage in 2019, 2020, and 2021. I mean, your your ninth inning options were a mix of of Cole Sulcer and and Cesar Valdez and gosh, I don't even know who was trying to close out games at times in 2019. I mean, it was tough. But you get to this point. And now he's got this bullpen working and has them firing at all cylinders. A 5.70 bullpen ERA for the Orioles in 2021. They lowered it to 3.49. Over a two-run decrease in bullpen ERA. They had the worst ERA of all bullpens last year. They were eighth this year. And they were top five most of the year. Walks. About four walks per nine last year, down to three walks per nine this year. The relievers just threw a lot more strikes. Hard hit percentage, 32.3% last year, just 28.4% this year. More soft contact leads to more outs. That's just how it happens. Now, the one stat that actually went down in a way you wouldn't think it was, was actually Orioles relievers struck batters out at a lower rate this year than they did last year. 8.6 strikeouts per nine in 2021, 8.47 strikeouts per nine in 2022. That's a little surprising. Now, it's not a huge drop, but strikeouts did go down from one year to the next where the bullpen got a lot better. Now, some of that is that the Orioles were attacking earlier in counts. They were getting more balls in play before they got to two strikes, before they can go for the strikeout even. And it's more surprising when you have a guy like Felix Bautista at the back end who seems to strike everybody out. But when you look at the rest of the bullpen and that, you know, CNL Perez was a guy who had his strikeout numbers go down a bit, but was still productive. Dylan Tate, who's, he'll get the strikeout when he takes it, but he's really looking for that soft ground ball to get the easy out to his great defense in the infield. 
when you look at a guy like Joey Crable, again, is just looking for that ground ball when he throws that that turbo change up. And, you know, Brian Baker is just looking to get you to pop up on that on that high fastball at times, although he will take his strikeouts. And Keegan Aiken trying to work the strike zone, get you to get yourself out in the first couple pitches of each at-bat. And you go, you know, down and down the line with all these guys the Orioles had. It wasn't crazy, crazy big strikeout numbers like you see from guys, for example, in, in the Astros' bullpen right now that is so-so dominant, or the Yankees' bullpen before it got crazy injured this season. And I can see that changing down the line. I think as the O's continue to build this bullpen like this, they're going to get more and more strikeout artists, and that K per nine number is going to go up from the current 8.47. But I just think it's interesting, I don't have great analysis on it, that the strikeouts went down a little bit, but the bullpen got so much better. And some of it's that, you know, Tanner Scott was a huge strikeout guy and, and and they lost him from the bullpen and they didn't really replace him with a giant strikeout guy like he was, although he was a big walk guy as well. And they didn't really have a big walk guy in the bullpen, which really helped them out. So you bring down the walks that much. I think it's okay that the K's go down a little bit because it worked. And in today's day and age, you're going to have to strike out guys at a little higher rate to continue to have success. That many balls in play is going to hurt you from time to time. So the O's will you know, help guys out and add more guys with big strikeout numbers. But just the way the bullpen change was fantastic with waiver claims. And yeah, I could see Mike Elias from time to time bringing in a legitimate, you know, more veteran free agent reliever to help this bullpen. It could happen maybe once a year, once every other year. But I think in general, the way he's going to build this bullpen moving forward, it might be through some trades at the deadline to, you know, kind of add to the pen. But it'll also be these waiver claims, these guys who were, you know, starters all the way up to AAA then just couldn't make it to the bigs that way. So you convert them, you know, as prospects to a relief role in Norfolk before they get to the big leagues. That's how they're going to build this bullpen. And I think it's going to work because he's made it work with almost nothing. Now he's going to have more resources to go to. And I'm just excited to see this team with Bautista, Tate, Perez, and Baker. And whomever else makes this bullpen dominate hitters again in 2023 we thank you so much for watching and listening all week here on the podcast we'll be back on monday and looks like we'll be opening up the mailbag again for another mailbag monday episode to send in orioles questions you can tweet at us at locked on orioles or tweet at me at connor newcomb underscore you can dm either account the dms are open for mailbag questions you can also email us at LockedOnOrioles at gmail.com to get your questions in. You can leave a mailbag question in the YouTube comments right here on this video on the Locked On Orioles YouTube page. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe and comment those mailbag questions. Or you can leave a mailbag question in the reviews section when you rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcast. We answer the questions in any way on a Mailbag Monday episode on Monday in which we'll be into the offseason. The World Series is going to end this weekend. Hoping it ends with a Phillies victory, but we will see. Enjoy the end of the baseball season this weekend. And they, we are officially into the offseason when we return on Monday and a fun offseason it should be. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.